0: Hi, my name is Caroline Durham, and I'm the minister to children here at Heights Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us online today. You can find our content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and at our website, heightschurch.org slash connect. You can let us know that you joined us today um, and let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Heights And uh, this this weekend marks the end of spring break. Now, how many of you guys had kids or grandkids and did some kind of spring break activity this past week? Anybody? We were on spring break at the Hogan household, and that means that we did some things that were good and some things that were fun and some things that were not so fun. All right, so fun things we did. We went to the museum, and that was fun, except for the parking part. That part wasn't fun. But the rest of it was good. Uh, they got to go to the park. Uh, they got to go to Camp Mohawk. We did a lot of cooking outside and eating dinner outside because it was beautiful weather all week long. And so I threw some pork chops on the grill. Was, it, we had a lot of fun. But there was some other stuff that we had to get done this week, which was we had to clean house. Now, that part was not fun at all. In fact, if you want to strike fear into the hearts of my four children, you just tell them we got to clean the house and they just vanish. They just disappear. You know, they're gone. They're outside. They're hiding in their room. They're sneaking. They're hiding in closets. They do not want to clean house. But we had some house cleaning to do because, you know, because we've got four kids, and so the place is always a mess, and we've got to try and keep the place. We've got to get to a point where we can function at least until the end of the school year, and then we would try and clean it up again. So we were getting caught up on dishes, and we were getting caught up on laundry, and we were trying to find the floor in the kids' bedrooms, and I even told my kids, hey, all that beautiful artwork that you've written in permanent marker all over my walls, it's time to get out the magic eraser, and we're going to try and make some progress on some of this stuff. And I told Hannah, I said, Hannah, if you're going to..." Write on the wall with permanent marker. Don't write your own name. You write your sister's name. You get in less trouble that way. (laughs) We're still working on it. It's a progress. But I was thinking about I was thinking about spring break, and I was thinking about uh, spring cleaning, and I was thinking about where we are currently in our series, um, Servant King, as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark. And so this morning we are going to be in Mark chapter 11, and we're going to talk about a time when Jesus shows up at the temple, and Jesus cleans house. So if you guys, if you've got a Bible or if you've got a Bible app, I invite you to open it and, and, and go over to Mark chapter 11. Um, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and kind of set the stage for you where we are. We have arrived now as we've been studying through the gospel of Mark. This is Jesus' final week on earth. So where we are in the story at the moment yesterday was Palm Sunday. Now I know on our church calendar, Palm Sunday is still a couple weeks away, but where we are in the story, Palm Sunday happened yesterday. So Jesus comes in and they're waving the palm branches and they're throwing down the coats and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is Mr. Popularity. He is the Messiah. This is going to be awesome. He's going to get rid of the Romans. He's going to vote the bums out. That's what's going to happen. That's where we're at in the story. And so Jesus triumphantly marches into the temple. And then it's really interesting what happens. I'm going to pick it up in Mark chapter 11, verse 11. This is what it says. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. What you'll see during this uh, final week of Jesus' life, he goes into Jerusalem, he preaches, he teaches, he does some other kind of controversial stuff that we're going to talk about in just a minute, and then he always leaves and he spends the night somewhere else. He's doing this for safety reasons, okay, because he knows the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, they're they're out to get him, and so he's having to kind of be covert about coming into the city. He can only come into the city when there's a huge crowd around him. All right. So here's, so what I'm going to do for, for just a minute, we're going to show a couple pictures up on the screen. I'm going to give you guys a picture of what it is that Jesus saw when he walked into the temple. Let's go ahead and throw that first picture up. Let's see what that looks like. Okay. So there's an example that that's actually a model of what Herod's temple would have looked like in Jesus' time. All right. Now the, the temple in Jesus' day was one of the wonders of of the ancient world, all right? Herod the Great, he was the king. Well, when Jesus was born, he was a m- massive builder. He did all kinds of incredible building projects. And so not only did he enlarge the temple itself, that central sanctuary there, but he built these gigantic retaining walls, all right? And he leveled it out and he paved it. And so he created this huge, plaza surrounding the temple. And that was called the Court of the Gentiles. I think I've got another picture up there that'll give you kind of a look of how this looks. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, this Gentiles' courtyard, because gonna, that's going to come important in the story in just a moment here. So what would happen is people from all over the ancient world would go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice. And if you were a Jewish male above a certain age, you would go once a year, and you would pay your temple tax. Okay, but here's the thing. You would never want to bring an animal with you, because if you brought an animal with you, transporting an animal is a logistical nightmare. All right. Any of you guys ever had to bring a dog or a cat in a car? All right. It's not fun. It's even worse than riding with your kids. So uh, I used to go to Mexico twice a year. And we would go on these mission trips. And we would work with a local pastor uh, who did ministry in these remote villages. So we would drive three, four hours along these mountain roads to get to the village. We would have church services. And then we would drive three or four hours home. Well, what happened was the way that these little, tiny churches supported this local pastor is sometimes they would give him livestock. And so you would spend three or four hours driving to the village and then you would get to drive home sitting in the back seat of the van with a goat. And that was only three or four hours. I can't imagine. Long story short, traveling with animals is not a whole lot of fun. So what would happen was people, when they would come to offer sacrifice, they wouldn't bring the animal with them if they lived far away. They would buy the animal there in Jerusalem. All right, And these were animals that were they were kosher. They were you know uh, priest-approved. They didn't have any defects. They were the right kind of animals in the same way that you wouldn't bring an animal with you because you would buy one there in the city, you also had to pay your temple tax. But if you're coming from far away, if you live other places in the Roman Empire, then who knows what your coin looks like? So your coin might have a picture of the emperor on it, it might have a picture of a foreign god, you know, maybe it's got a picture of Artemis on it, if you're living, if you're from Ephesus, okay, and none of this is okay with the authorities that are running the temple, all right, so the rule was you could only pay your temple tax with the special temple coins, otherwise you might have idolatry and you can't bring in, you know, the picture of a pagan god on it in order to pay your tax, And so what had happened was you you had opportunities to buy animals to offer for sacrifice, and you had to change out whatever your money was for the special temple money, all right? And for years, all of this operated on the Mount of Olives, which is like across the street from the temple. But for some reason, Uh, the same year that Jesus marches into the city, uh, somebody decided it would be a great idea to take this, all of this buying and selling and the animals and the money changers, and they put it in the court of the Gentiles. And so rather than it being down the hill and across the street where you would take care of this, they had it all around the temple. Now, here's the problem. All right. If you're a God-fearing person who is a Gentile, All right, if you worship the one true God, but you're not Jewish, you're not allowed to go into the temple itself. Only Jews are allowed to go into the temple itself. And so your place to pray and your place to worship is in the Gentiles' courtyard. And the Gentiles' courtyard had been converted into this massive open air Jerusalem livestock and rodeo show. All right. And there's just, there's cows and chickens and well, there wouldn't have been pigs, but there's cows and chickens and doves and people making deals and and doing all this. The thing is a hot mess and Jesus is not okay with this. So just to give you a bit, so put that in your picture and we're going to go ahead and pick up the story in Mark chapter 11. I'm going to start reading at verse 15. This is what Mark tells us. And they came to Jerusalem And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and they were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Again, Jesus comes in, he says what he says, he teaches, he preaches, and then he leaves again for safety's sake. So Jesus shows up and he is hot. All right. This is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. No, this is, this is mad Jesus. All right. Um, all four gospel writers uh, talk about when Jesus did this in the temple. John even says that when he goes after the money changers and the, and the livestock salesman, he he's got a whip. All right. So the next time you've got your little, uh, what would Jesus do bracelet? And you're thinking to yourself, what would Jesus do? You just have to remember that throwing over tables and using a whip is uh, is an option. which is funny to say, but you really got to think about it for a minute. Because we're coming to a passage of scripture where we have to tread very carefully when we're going to do application. Okay. Jesus got mad. Jesus threw over tables. Jesus used a whip. I want to be like Jesus. And I'm thinking about this, and I'm just, I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to run a scenario in my head, okay? So I'm imagining, okay, I'm at home, and I'm upstairs, and, or I'm, I'm downstairs, and I'm hearing yelling and screaming coming from upstairs. And I run up the stairs, and, and, and my son has his belt out, and he's beating his sisters with it. And I'm like, David, what are you doing? He's like, they made a mess in my room. I'm being like Jesus. We always want to be the hero of the story. Sometimes, when we look at a passage of scripture, we we always want to put ourselves in Jesus' place. But what I want to suggest today is we actually want to kind of turn it around the other way. And I want to say, rather than saying, how are we just like Jesus? Because let me give you a spoiler alert. You're not Jesus. I want to ask us, how are we like the money changers? You know, it's, I, I think it's important to, to realize there is going to be a, there is a place in the life of a believer, there's a place in the life of a church where we are called to call out sin and corruption and injustice out there. But we have got to remember that we also need to be worried about sin and corruption and justice in here. And brothers and sisters, it's way easier to call it out over there to those people that they're doing it over there. It's especially easy when we're behind our keyboard and we're on social media and we're saying, Jesus turned over tables. I can, too. You know, Twitter is not a good place. All right. But somebody tweeted something at me this week that I thought was just kind of insightful. They said, yeah, Jesus did that once and he was God. This was not a regular practice of Jesus. This is something that he did one time in salvation history for a very specific reason. So the moral of the story is don't get on social media looking to pick a fight. Don't look for places to go ahead and get angry and pick fights and have an argument because Jesus did it once. James one twenty says the, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Again, is there a place where we can have righteous anger? Is there a place where we call out injustice? Is there a place where we have to call out something that that, that is broken and that's abusive? Yeah, Yeah, there's a place for it, but let's be careful not to spend all of our time calling out other people. Let's make sure that we're looking inward as well. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says it like this. He says, why do you work so hard to grab the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a plank coming out of your own eye. We just have to remember, it's always easy to clean up somebody else's mess. It's, at least it's more fun. We were talking about this in Life Group the other day about, you know, the challenges of trying to keep the house under control when you've got little kids and they're not being terribly helpful, and, and we talked about, you know, it's, it's, it's way easier to do laundry at someone else's house than it is to do at your own house, or at least it's more fun you know, get together and and help somebody else out rather than do your own thing. But as believers, we have to always be careful that we don't fall into the the trap of always looking out there. We need to be willing to look in as well. If you want to clean house, you got to start by cleaning your room. If you want to change the world, you have to start with your own sphere of influence. You have to start with yourself. You have to start with your own relationship with God. You've got to start with your own family, and then it goes out from there. I heard a very wise man once say that when when you pray for revival, Lord, we need revival, what you need to do is make a square in duct tape on the floor and stand in the square and say, Lord, let there be revival and let it start inside this square. Lord, let there be revival and let it start with me and then that revival that starts in your heart will radiate out and begin to change the world but i want i want to i just want to drill down very carefully on what jesus says about what's going on in the temple and why it's a problem for Jesus, because I think that we, we, we have an idea of why Jesus has a problem with this that's, that's maybe a little more shallow than is going on. I'm gonna go ahead and pick up in verse, um, in verse 17. And this is what Jesus says. He says, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And see, what Jesus is doing there is he's actually using two different quotations of scripture, one from the prophet Isaiah and one from the prophet Jeremiah. Now, I want you to hear what he's, the, the part that he's quoting from Isaiah. This is Isaiah 56, verse 7. He says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The problem with what was going on at the temple was not necessarily that people had an opportunity to buy the the animals they needed for sacrifice, or that they needed to change their money around. The problem was, is that they were making it impossible for Gentiles to worship. They had excluded and crowded out anybody who wasn't Jewish. And God's plan had always been that the temple would be something that would be available for all nations, that all nations and tongues and tribes and peoples would come to worship the one true God. And they said, no, 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 we're going we're to do Jerusalem livestock and rodeo show instead. And then the really important people, the Jews, they can go inside the temple and pray, but there's no space left for anybody to worship. Because the worship of the one true God, at least for a certain category of people, had been crowded out by the buying and the selling and the changing of money. And that makes me think about our lives. And I just ask myself the question, what are some of the things that have cluttered up our spiritual life? What are things that are barriers, that are obstacles, that are distractions to our ability to worship? You know, and when, when I think about I think about you know being in a worship service, I'm like, well, sometimes you know you end up with a conversation in a hallway or a lobby that goes long and you end up missing part of worship, or I know for me, like I have to be careful because I have like a dozen legitimate reasons to be on my phone during worship, you know, because we've got a live stream and we've got, you know, so I'm I'm looking in the comments section and I'm saying good morning to the people that are worshiping with us at home, and I'm sending text messages to my tech crew, and I'm doing all this, I'm doing all this, I'm sometimes I'm doing damage control because something's going haywire in the, in the course of the service but then I got to be careful because then sometimes I've got the phone up and I'm looking at it and again I've got a dozen good reasons to be on it but then sometimes I get like bored or I'd like start multitasking and my focus drifts you know those are just two kind of Examples I think of, of ways that we can get distracted we can get in our own way when it comes to our worship here in this building in this place on Sunday morning, but remember that our worship is a lifestyle that should that should embrace our entire existence. so what are the things that are going on in your life that are causing that, that are causing uh, your your life to be cluttered? You know when I have a conversation with with somebody that i haven 't seen in church for a while or somebody that I know doesn 't doesn't, really, doesn't go to church or is, is struggling, finding time to, to read scripture or to, to be in the word or to pray, They always I, I ask them, hey, how's it going? So what's going on? They always say the same word. What word is it? I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I got stuff. I got so much going on. Brothers and sisters, I, I hear that. The amount of time pressure it is to to. To, to work a job and provide for your family and mow the lawn and cook dinner and grocery shop and make sure that I got four kids that are like fed and clothed, like all, just, just that by itself is, is hard. So I, I totally hear, you know, I, hope, I totally hear like, like the pressure of we've got so much stuff going on. But this is what I know. What I know is that you've got 24 hours in a day and you are going to get done whatever you make time for. You know, I've heard somebody say, well, we all have the same 168 hours in a week. This is true. We don't all have the same amount of stuff we've got to get done in 168 hours. There's differences there depending on what season of life we're in. But what I do know for sure is that we all have 24 hours in a day, and we will get done whatever we make time for. So if you want a clean house, you got to think about eliminating the clutter. Man, this is hard at my house, eliminating the clutter. You you, you guys, you saw the Marie Kondo show on Netflix where you you only keep 10 shirts and get rid rid of the rest of them. I tried it for like five minutes. I couldn't do it, man. There's just too much. There's just too much stuff going on. But we got to do that same kind of decluttering process on our calendar and our day timer. We've got to reprioritize what what matters in our life. We've got to choose between good things And God things, we got to make sure that we don't let good things become God things. We might have to declutter our budget and our finances a little bit so that we can honor God and worship him with our finances. We got to figure out how to get rid of the distractions that are causing us to not be able to worship him with our whole life and to not live our whole life as a living sacrifice because there's stuff that keeps getting in the way. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And our lives should be a place of prayer for all nations and all peoples. Jesus starts, at, starts by quoting that verse from Isaiah. He says, he says that you, my house should be a house of prayer for all peoples. And then he says, but you have made it a den of robbers. And this is the part where I think we, we mistake what's going on in the temple courts. Um, I grew up hearing these stories even as a kid and even as an adult, assuming that the reason why Jesus is upset about the fact that there's buying and selling going on in the temple courts is because the people are getting ripped off, all right? And that's very possibly going on. It's true that they may be charging exorbitant prices for animals. They may be getting really crummy exchange rates on on the coin. And it's basically like if you've ever been to Disneyland and you wanted to eat at Disneyland, or even if you go to the movie theater and you pay $7 for a Coke... All right. So it's entirely possible that there is that going on, that like, you're going to pay a lot more money for a lamb at the temple than you would if you tried to drag him all the way from home. That might be going on. But what Jesus quotes here, when he's quoting the prophet Jeremiah, what's going on is deeper than that. All right. Cause what I'm, he's, he's quoting Jeremiah uh, chapter seven, and I'm going to read the, the quotation that Jesus is quoting. This is what he says. This is what Jesus has in mind when he says what he says. And this is what the Pharisees and the priests hear, and this is why they're so angry. All right, this is what he says. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 9. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offering to Baal, and go after the other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So just kind of understand the nuance there. You know, we hear den of robbers and we think what's happening is the people in the temple are getting ripped off. And again, that might be part of what's going on here. But remember, a den of robbers isn't where robbery is occurring It's where robbers go and hang out. What Jesus is saying is this temple has been filled with people that live however they want, Monday through Friday, and then on Saturday they come and worship me. They're saying they're living a life that does not reflect what it means to be a believer in the one true God. They're just doing whatever they want and then they're showing up on and then they're showing up on Saturday again you know, Saturday instead of Sunday because it's old it's you know old testament and saying we're we're forgiven we're forgiven. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. Brothers and sisters, if you want a clean house you got to start by cleaning your own room. Then you got to eliminate the clutter, and then you got to take out the trash. Man, I go upstairs, try to help the kids, help, help the girls get their room clean. Got to find the floor. First thing we do is big trash bags. Come on. You get rid of the trash bag, like half of it's done. Then you do the laundry, and you're basically done. Like It's, 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 it's amazing. And they're not supposed to have food up there, but they do. I don't know how they do, but they get it. In the same way that busyness and distractions and clutter can, can, can be a barrier to your worship. Unrepentant sin and unconfessed sin can be a barrier to your worship. So the question that, that you got to ask yourself again, you know, it, you look at this passage and, and, and the temptation is to say, how can, I, how can I flip over some tables like Jesus? Well, the answer is you don't because you're not Jesus. You got to ask yourself, okay, how am I like the money changers? what kind of stuff do I need to clean up in my old life? And you got to take a look at that and say, what are the, what are the stuff? Where are the strongholds? All right. What's the stuff that I'm continuing to struggle with? Because I'm sort of, I'm, I've given my life to Jesus, but not that part. That part over there. No, 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 that's mine. Or I don't want to deal with that stuff. That hurts too bad. I don't, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to work through that. If you want to clean house, you got to take out the trash. I think of it, I think of it like this. Um, Eric Mason, he's a, he's a pastor. I heard him explain it once like this, and, and I just thought it was really profound. Eric Mason says, okay, so there's two kinds of people that come over to your house, right? And he talks about having little kids like, like I've got. And you know, so when you got little kids, the place is always a mess because anytime you try and clean up, it's like trying to brush your teeth while you're eating Oreos I mean, it's just like, it doesn't matter what you do five seconds later, it's it's worse. Like, you can spend all day long cleaning, and it doesn't make any difference because the kids have spent all day long uncleaning. And so you get two kinds of people that come over to your house. You get people that come over, and you go and meet them out on the front porch. You close that door behind you, and you're hoping that they're not going like this, trying to look over your shoulder. And you say hi, and you, you know, and you take care of what's going, you do, you do business, and you, you hang out, you hang out and sit on the tailgate and talk for a minute and you know, have a conversation, and you visit, but you don't let them in because you don't want to see the mess. You don't want them to see the mess. But there's another kind of person that comes over to your house, and you just open the door, you let them in, oh, I'm, I'm so glad you're here, come on in. Because this is somebody that you know and that you love and that you trust, and you know what they do when they come in? They just start picking up. Any of you got anybody like that in your life that comes over to your house and they just start, they start picking, well, where's, where's the vacuum cleaner? Where's the trash bag? That's a true friend. That's somebody, that, you, that's somebody that, that loves you and cares for you and you know that you are loved and you are cared for by that person and you trust that person to come in and help clean up your mess. Brothers and sisters, I think so many of us We want to live our lives by meeting Jesus on the front porch. Don't look in there, Jesus. There's bad stuff in there. I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to give you my life, but I'm going to give you my life out here on the front porch. Let's not go look in the closets. There's skeletons in the closet. There's cobwebs. Bathroom hasn't been cleaned, and I don't know how long. Let's just do business out here, you and me, out on the front porch. Jesus wants to come in, and he wants to clean up your Invite Jesus in and let him start taking out the trash. Jesus paid the price for that mess. Jesus died on the cross for that mess. Jesus rose again on the third day to prove his victorious, his victory over your mess and your sin and your brokenness. In the the letter of Revelation, Jesus says, and he says this to the church, he says this to believers: behold, I stand at the door and knock. Invite me in. Let's have lunch. And, let's, and then let's get to work cleaning up the mess. Because I want to come in and I want to begin to change you from the inside out. But you've got to invite me in. you've got to invite me to be a part of that process. Don't, don't keep Jesus at, arm, at arm's length. Invite Jesus in and invite him to be a part of cleaning up your mess. If you want a clean house, you got to start by cleaning your room. You got to eliminate the clutter. You got to take out the trash and you got to invite Jesus to be part of your mess. And that's, be, and, and that's why cleaning house is so important. But you know, there's another ter- there's another way that we use the phrase clean house. This is the part that, you know, when I say clean house, it strikes fear into my kids. When I hear somebody say clean house in this other way, it's the part that strikes fear into those of us that are adults. Anybody who's ever lost a job. Because clean house means the new boss came in and he fired everybody. We, uh. Pastor Lee and I right now, we're we're working through our our podcast on Wednesdays, and we've been going through some of the kind of the outtakes, kind of the the, the deep cuts, the stuff that we've not been talking about in the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. And this week, we talked about the fig tree. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to that, because we talked a little bit about this whole concept, about the fact that God's people had been worshiping on the Temple Mount off and on for a thousand years. And Jesus is finally saying, time's up. We're done. Because the worship of God's people on the temple, it's not bearing fruit. You know, Scripture tells us that the Lord is not slow, as some count slowness, but that he is patient and his desire is that all come to repentance. And and, and so God w- was very patient with the nation of Israel and the temple for a thousand years. And yet when Jesus comes on the scene, it's 30, 40 years later. The temple is gone. And it's been 2,000 years and there hasn't been another temple. Because Jesus went in and he cleaned house and he cleaned house. It finally got to the point with the temple that Jesus was done. Jesus was done waiting. But this is the good news. Jesus is never done with you. So this morning, I would invite you to come to Jesus and begin that painful process of cleaning house. Maybe this morning you're in a place and you're saying, you know what, I spend a lot of my time criticizing something wrong out there. I need to start looking at what's going on in here. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to figure out how to eliminate clutter. You say, you know, I got a lot going on in my life and I'm not, I don't have the opportunities to worship like I should or to read my Bible like I should or to pray like I should or to to be a part of my church like I should. I need to figure out how to declutter some of this. I got to go Marie Kondo on my life. Maybe this morning you're dealing with some unconfessed sin or some habitual sin or something that you're something that you're stuck so you're enslaved to and you need to invite Jesus in and say Lord I need you to take out the trash because
1: Jesus is never done with his people. Let's pray together. I want to thank you for joining us and watching today's message. And I want to just go over a quick story with you that's a really important story in the Bible and it means a lot to me. It's about a man by the name of Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was a guy who pretty much grew up going to church all his life. And one night he comes to Jesus and it's late in the evening and he sits down with Jesus and he essentially asks him a question. Jesus, how do I go to heaven? How do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds in John chapter 3 that you have to be born again. Now Nicodemus asked a very practical question we all would think, well how in the world can someone be physically born twice? But Jesus wasn't talking about a second physical birth, he's talking about a spiritual birth, that you have to be born again. See the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that without Christ our spirits are dead, that we're not able to worship God and love God and honor God. But then when we come to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus helps us to be born again. He gives us new birth, and our spirits come alive. And so Ephesians chapter 2 again then says, Then by grace you have been saved. It's not a work of yourself. It's the work of Jesus in your life. But listen, that has to be received. You have to receive that gift of grace in your life and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. As simply put it this way. Did Jesus do everything He possibly could do to save you on the cross? Or is there something else out there? Is he the only way or are there other ways? You know, the way to be saved is to say, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And friend, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus forgives you of all your sin, past, present, and future. And when you die, one day, he will take you to be with him in heaven. And so when you think about the wonderful promises of Jesus, I want to encourage you today, right where you are, to receive them and believe in Him. And so if you are ready to do that today, let's just bow in prayer. And I'm going to encourage you in your heart today to mean these words, because this is what God says, that when we believe in our hearts that Jesus has died on the cross for us, that we can be saved. So would you pray with me? You can simply say, dear God, today I believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm placing my faith and trust in Him, in Him alone. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and one day taking me to heaven to be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Friend, I want to thank you so much today for watching our message and encourage you, if you've prayed today to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, please let us know so we can come alongside of you and encourage you, help you take your next step of faith. You can connect with us at our website, heightschurch.org slash connect. You can even leave a comment here on this YouTube page, and we'll be in touch with you because we want to just come alongside of you and help you take that next step of faith. So until next time, thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you soon.